Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Jude. Jude's from the YouTube channel, Being Integrated. He's also a psychotherapist, and we have an amazing conversation just on meditation and also like therapy and stuff and like how to introduce change into your life. It was really, really fruitful conversation. Please check me out at uh, Noor Kidwai on Instagram and Twitter, Noor Kidwai Comedian on Facebook. And uh, yeah, if you're loving the podcast, please give it a good rating. I really do appreciate it and uh, share it with like-minded people. That's always uh, helpful. Well, let's get to this week's episode. Everybody, my guest this week, Jude. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. I'm here with Jude. Uh, He's from the YouTube channel Being Integrated. Jude, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Man, uh, I'm excited about this. Uh, I've been watching your channel. You talk so much about meditation and therapy. And um, these are the themes of my podcast I love is about kind of like learning to heal, learning to change yourself and like becoming more fulfilled and happy in your life. And it seems like this is what you try to teach people. Um, Do you mind maybe giving my uh, audience a little bit of a background of like how you started this channel? Like what's your background in like uh, school and meditation and everything? Yeah, for sure. So um, I got into this type of stuff super young because my parents are actually Buddhists. So I was exposed to Buddhism, like, you know, extremely young, like my since the beginning of my life. And I wasn't raised Buddhist, but it was always there. And I was always kind of interested. And then when I was uh, late teens, like 18, I started reading this uh, Eastern kind of teacher guy named Krishnamurti. And that was really it. And he was really talking about like truth and, and awakening and seeing things as really they are and uh, and challenging authority, which was a big thing to me was like, you know, definitely like question authority and not to take, you know, other people's word for things and finding your own way through life. Right. He was really giving permission for to people to be themselves and explore things for themselves. And so that really got me. And then from there, I kind of got interested in <clears throat> like Buddhism and uh, uh, and uh practice like meditation like how do we actually change how do we grow and this was still young like 20 years old um and then i so i joined a like a buddhist center and did the real buddhist thing tibetan buddhism for like a year and it didn't really land with me actually like even though i there's so many things i loved and felt connected to it in a lot of ways it wasn't really for me at least not not that not at that time in my life and then i ended up uh, later finding this therapist who ran the school and he was like kind of a buddhist but kind of a therapist. Well, he was definitely a therapist and he was just great. And he was like, exactly. I was like, Oh, this guy's really gets it. He really, he's really integrating it. And he's really helping people grow in a way that makes sense. He's not ideological at all. He's not following like some predetermined kind of formulaic path. He's really attuning to people and feeling like, okay, well, what do you need? What, what is your life path? What's meaningful? And, uh, and he was like this huge inspiration. And I was like 23 when I found him. And he was my therapist for four years, and I ended up training at his school when I was like 23, 24, 25, uh, and then left to kind of pursue other things in life, like photography and all that, but really came back to therapy and kept coming back to it because that was where I noticed the growth was happening, more so than in my meditation practice, was through these kind of therapy groups and, and through one-on-one therapy with therapists. 
but still interested in Buddhist psychology and Buddhist philosophy and all of that stuff, and then just really integrating it. So there was, you know, a lot of disparate kind of paths and kind of toying with it. And then about, uh, you know, seven years ago, I met this teacher, Jeff Warren, who's kind of a popular teacher nowadays. He's, you know, an author as well. And uh, he really got me into, he really kind of gave me permission to like start teaching it myself, which is something that uh, would have, I wouldn't have probably done without him, right? Whereas, because I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I just felt kind of too young and too inexperienced. And, you know, you, you I idolized all these teachers who were like, you know, very experienced. And I'm like, well, I, it's going to be a long time till I could be that. But he's really like, no, no. He's like, you get this. You're good at this. You should do this. And after a lot of his encouragement, I started kind of, you know, doing that more, taking on that role. Uh, so, yeah, so I've, you know, I trained at three different psychotherapy schools, all kind of different types of schools with different approaches. So I have like this kind of different array of, of approaches. And then I trained with, worked with a few different uh, like Buddhist teachers or meditation teachers in different traditions. So it's really like pulling all this stuff that I found useful and helpful and integrating it, right? Which is, you know, why my channel is called Being Integrated. It's about not just integrating what we know, but integrating ourselves, finding what's true for us and and the parts of ourselves uh, that that we don't maybe acknowledge or look at and owning them and feeling them and processing, you know, all the things. A hundred percent. And uh, like when you went to those psychotherapy schools, like the different ones, um, did they ever in, like in, use uh, meditation at all in them or was uh, the first, a foreign concept? The, yes. So the first school I went to was run by that guy who was like 30 years Buddhist experience. And he was also, he had spent 10 years kind of in isolation meditating. So he was like a real profound practitioner. He had, you know, had his own awakening in a really profound life-changing way and uh and was studying really traditionally uh zen and so my original introduction to psychotherapy was from him so it was very integrated there was meditation he i used to go on meditation retreats with him that he would run on his property so there was uh very much an integration when i was introduced to it so that was great uh, the other schools there was always it was always there a bit because you know there's always either one or two instructors or somebody who was also into it so it wasn't outside the box, you know, because I didn't go to conventional schools, I didn't go to universities, I went to small training institutes that were already kind of outside of the norm, right? And so they attracted people who were uh, kind of more diverse in their viewpoints. And so it was it was a really great experience. So, so it was never, um, it was always understood, it was always respected, let's say that, it was always respected at the very least. Oh, that's huge. Like, uh, no, that's actually really nice to hear too. Like, uh, people in that line of work, uh, getting into this. Um, okay. I, I do want to talk a little bit about like meditation and like how we can actually use this. So for people who aren't maybe as experienced in meditation, they can understand how like this can be used to like help with like conditions that a lot of us have. And like you talked about it in one of your videos about ADHD, um, something that you struggled with, uh, for, uh, like, I guess your whole life. So like, uh, maybe we can talk about, uh, let's talk about meditation and like that. Basically, okay, you kind of talked about in that, uh, how the difference between like meditation and mindfulness, like, uh, maybe you want to start with that. Like, what do you kind of yeah. differences? Well, yeah. So, I mean, in, you'll find these terms, uh, defined differently by different people, by different teachers in different schools. And, but it's really, if we want to look at, there is a, two uh, styles of meditation uh, traditionally there's really more but there's these two kind of 
divergent approaches when, and they're normally in most in Buddhism, they're used very complementary, right? So it's not that they're opposed to each other. They're totally complementary. One is about developing concentration. It's about really learning to kind of focus your attention to, to rest your attention and to develop like a clear mind, a steadiness of mind and a clear mind. Mm. Uh, the other is about awareness. It's about noticing what's happening and not trying to control what's happening. And, the thing is that some schools often the way it's taught is you develop a clear and steady mind first and then you use that to then observe, uh, you know, other aspects of, of existence, uh, other, uh, you know, what they call sensory experience. So our thoughts and feelings and all of that. But, uh, but for most people, especially with ADD, it's really hard to get a settled mind. And it, it might, it would probably be easier if we lived in monasteries, right? Because the <laughs> thing is, like most of these traditions come from like a monastic type style of teaching, right? There, these these things are taught traditionally, uh, mainly practiced. Of course, like they're practiced by like lay people, or they call them like householders. But primarily, these these paths of traditional Buddhist paths are taught uh, to to monastics, right? To people who are really engaged, and it's really not practical to think that people are going to be able to prioritize it on that level, that they're going to able to uh, be able to progress in, in, in to the degree that they would need to, to make like real deep progress in, in kind of a real focused uh, type of practice. So, so for me, it's all about like, well, what works for people, right? It's like, what, what can people do that actually is effective? And for me uh, that I found effective is, bringing more of my thoughts and feelings and specifically feelings into awareness and learning how to open to them and be present with them and feel them fully moment to moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that is not necessarily about focusing on breath, although it definitely can be, but it's more about constantly check in. How am I feeling in this moment? What does that feeling feel like? Where is it located in my being? How is this, how, what kind of thoughts is this feeling created, create creating or, what kind of or what thoughts am I having and how is that impacting the way I'm feeling, right? So it's like noticing the connection between thoughts and feelings and just bringing more awareness to it, which is essentially a lot of what you do in psychotherapy, right? So there's a lot of similarities like mindfulness and a lot of psychotherapy practices aren't that different. Maybe the approach is different and the way they frame things is different, but you're basically just trying to make yourself really aware of patterns, uh, mostly for the first part. Right. And then maybe the approach is with with mindfulness, it's more about opening and accepting. It's not about trying to change it. It's about through the opening and accepting and observing of the pattern. It actually starts to change on its own. Yeah. And try to be like non-judgmental about it and just like yeah. just see it. Just let it be. Exactly. Yeah, because judgment always closes things down. Like when we judge something, if you like judge a, a feeling or, or even a thought, you can actually, if you really attune, you can feel a part of your body tighten, right? It might be yeah. subtle, but it's like tight. And that that keeps us from actually feeling it fully. It, it, and it makes it stuck in our system. So we carry it around. Like people talk about like carrying around emotional baggage. That's what it is. It's things that we haven't been fully open to feeling, that we haven't felt safe to feel, that there hasn't been like a permission to feel it. And so we, we close up around it, we judge it, and then we just, it burdens us. It, it, it weighs on us and we carry it as tension and stress and, and whatever other kind of feelings in our system. And we don't, we feel less alive. We feel less present, right? And so if we want to feel like more alive, more present, you have to open to the discomfort and feel the things that we didn't necessarily, you know, we don't normally want to feel. 
Yeah, and that's actually a good place to like transition to ADHD. Like, um, so how how that like, you explained it so eloquently on your like uh, YouTube channel, but um, can you maybe kind of tell us like how yeah. you like saw ADHD just from yeah being, uh, being so aware of it? When we think of ADHD, you think of attention, right? It's this tension attention disorder, right? That oh, you can't focus. But what I realize, you think oh, it's in my mind. I have my mind is too crazy. But what I realized is that it, it's actually in my body, like the primarily that it was this discomfort in my body. It was a restless feeling that is very uncomfortable in the body. And my mind doesn't want to be with that sensation because of the level of discomfort. So my mind searches dopamine, right? It searches dopamine is like uh, excitement or engagement from your environment or from your thoughts. And so it's constantly, your mind is constantly feeling this like lack of dopamine and constantly searching for it. And it's just crazy, either obsessive thinking or trying to, you know, act out or, or find things to do instead of just sitting and being with that restless feeling in the body. And when we can like tune into that restless feeling and just feel it and be with it, suddenly it's not so uncomfortable anymore. And suddenly we realize we don't have to um, escape it. And I think one of the big things is like, what all for me, the entry level psychotherapy and entry level meditation practice, what it's all about for me is like, or what I find for most people, it's most effective is learning our own nervous system, learning how to soothe our nervous system, right? Because we sometimes get in this idea of, oh, I need to like make my mind do this. And we just end up making ourselves more erratic, or we end up kind of activating our, our nervous system even more and more distress. And what we're really trying to do in all these practices is notice how am I feeling and how can I soothe myself? What's soothing for me? And so you could, you know, it doesn't need to be a traditional type practice. It could be putting on music and just noticing how that makes you feel what's happening in your body now and learning how to just soothe your system. Because so long as you're in this kind of uh, activated state, you're, it's nothing's really going to work or be helpful, right? So it's just tuning in, noticing how you're feeling, being okay with that, taking off that layer of judgment or resistance. And then from there, you can start to learn how to soothe the nervous system, learn how to kind of calm down and relax. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, yeah, you said so much there. Um, like, honestly, <laughs> you know, it's true. And like, uh, there's like so many different branches I kind of want to go off on, but like, yeah, like being aware of like the unease in your body. Like this is actually something I've been doing in the last uh, couple of years. Like I started doing a breathing exercise, which kind of took my meditation practice from like how you described it to like meditation concentration into more of just complete awareness. And like uh, I've been able to become more aware of my body and like how you say you start feeling tension in, um, like in different parts of your body or different sensations. And if you can give it that like, just that attention or that awareness, but completely non-judgmentally. Like I, I've noticed how like it just eases it off, and like yeah. how these things kind of start. Like it's that that awareness almost heals it by itself, right? Yeah. So this is this is like the counterintuitive thing is that our body naturally resists resists feeling discomfort, and the resistance of it makes it much worse, right? It makes it exponentially worse. And like on an extreme end, we could talk about a panic attack, right? And that's like the extreme where somebody's feeling something and they're like, oh no, I'm feeling anxiety, I'm feeling panic. I don't like this, I don't wanna feel this, I hate this. And then that makes them panic even more. And then that propels, that's why a panic attack happens because it's this, this negative feedback loop of discomfort and panic, right? Cause it's like, 
the the feeling of oh no i'm having a panic attack creates even more panic and like that's why it just spirals out so what we were training ourselves to do when we meditate is we're saying oh i'm feeling uncomfortable but that's okay it's okay to be uncomfortable there's nothing wrong with discomfort and the more you can be okay with discomfort the less uncomfortable it is right it's the resistance to discomfort that that adds another layer of just like suffering they might call it or yeah really. and uh, yeah. no that's exactly it it's like that mental suffering because i think some people say like oh are you never going to feel pain or bad stuff it's like no you'll feel that when it comes up and you'll just be okay with feeling it but you're not going to add that extra layer of mental suffering with your resistance to it right yeah absolutely okay that's good um so like uh let's go back to like adhd now so like um, we can kind of uh, describe it a little bit more than as you're you saying like you're trying to get away with a uh, negative unease in your body and uh, you kind of do this by jumping into uh, thoughts. Is this what you're kind of saying? Yeah, so it's basically like so what they found in ADHD brains is that uh, we like people with ADHD lack dopamine. We have a lower base level of dopamine and that when this is so this is why stimulants work for ADHD because you would think oh if if your mind's erratic giving someone a stimulant is just going to make it more erratic like that's the logic but mm -hmm. what happens is because you lack a base level of dopamine a stimulant gives you a higher base level of dopamine and then there's not this erraticism there's not this search or need to find dopamine so your mind's not in this constant obsessive looking for it anymore it's actually just more okay so you're more able to focus on things that you would normally find not interesting right so Dopamine comes up when we're interested in something, right? When something appeals to us, that gives us dopamine. And so, uh, so we're constantly looking for things we're interested in, looking for things that will stimulate our mind or, or whatever, stimulate our body too, like if it's something that's like exciting. And it's so, uh, so because we feel understimulated, we're constantly searching for stimulation, right? So that's what you can think about the way you can think about, uh, ADHD. And so, so, yeah, I guess that answers. Yeah, uh, no, that does answer my question. And like, um, that's actually the one thing I don't think people even understand about that stimulant. Um, our thoughts can actually stimulate a dopamine release. And I don't think totally. people understand that, that like, I, I, I used to have this issue where I got caught into like, just thinking patterns where I'm just kind of thought in mental loops that I've right. thought about a hundred times, almost they're like fantasies or something, but of course. they gave me a dopamine rush and mm -hmm. that kind of, yeah, that's something I just like oh, yeah. addicted to. And yeah, I think most people are like, most people are like, if you think of what we're most fundamentally addicted to, it's mostly thinking, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's like, try not to think it's the hardest thing in the world. Right. <laughs> um, so it's, it's like, uh, people talk about these like chemical imbalances in the brain. That's like, you know, you hear this all the time. People are like, Oh, I have a chemical imbalance. And yes, that could be true, but your experience changes your chemical balance in your brain. Right? So for example, you know, when you're watching an exciting sport, something you're really engaged with, that's, you can feel physiologically, your whole body changes. If you're really into it, you know, like when the Toronto Raptors were playing the playoffs, like nothing, I didn't take any, I didn't ingest any, thing that would change my physiology but watching like you know the team that was like the huge underdogs 
come in. It was like my whole physiology and everyone in the bar, their whole physiology had changed. Everybody's brains were all lit up in like, you know, there's probably tons of dopamine gushing and all this, who knows what other kind of, you know, mm-hmm. brain chemicals. Right. And so the idea is that, uh, that, uh, our, our, our experience, how we relate to ourselves, how we think about uh, ourselves, our own tendency to judge and all this changes our brain. It creates things a certain way. And the brain, we have neuroplasticity, right? So we can, uh, we can practice things that will change the chemistry of our brain. And for some people, it's going to be a lot more difficult, right? Some people are a lot more challenged and like, that's the reality, but it's, but it's not fate, right? Sometimes we think we're fated to feel a certain way. We're fated to be a certain way. We don't realize that there's actually things we can do, practices we can do that can change us. And I think this is, you know, like I, I was just talking with a client right before this call who um, is in a really good place, but went to go to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist tried to like put him on these meds that he really, really did not need. Like he really didn't need them. And he was like, isn't that silly? Because uh, with a psychiatrist, with like modern medicine, they're looking, they're just looking at, well, you know, how, what, like there, it validates their job and it, and people are like, okay, you have this thing that isn't normal in your brain and therefore we need to make it normal. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how they see it. Although he was, you know, he had basically just had some really amazing experiences and he was feeling great and everything was fine and he wasn't normal. Like he's not in a normal state, but he's good. Like he's great, <laughs> but yeah. people, they want to like look at things and say, well, no, this is not normal. And not to, of course, not to like, I think there, there are a lot of people who can benefit from meds. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I have friends who, you know, maybe wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for medications at times, but it's, they're over prescribed in certain situations instead of looking holistically like, well, you know, what else is happening in your life? You know, I know so many people who have been prescribed meds and they were never really asked, like they were never there was no support in what can you do outside of taking meds, right? Like, oh, it may be, if you're feeling lonely, maybe you can start to engage more in like community projects and all this stuff instead of just taking a pill, you know? So it's, it's like, a, I think that there is, people get really caught up in this um, kind of, uh, what is it, like a scientific view of the brain and, and neurology and thinking that, oh, if a problem's in the brain, then we must fix it in the brain and not realizing that like, the practices we do, like everything I do on my channel is changing our brain, right? When we do these practices, we are changing our brain and we, and and it's empowering. Once you realize that you can just do very simple things, like just putting a hand like on your chest, suddenly you feel different, you know? And, and it's, these things change you. And if you do them regularly, intentionally, uh, you know, thoughtfully that it's like you can, change your life right and i think it's 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 super empowering if you feel stuck oh it's it's uh, extremely empowering when you feel stuck um and actually uh like so you deal with like so many uh patients and stuff and like i bet you a lot of them are talking about feeling stuck that's a like uh that's something i think all of us kind of get into these things like uh for me like meditation and then like uh years down the road psychedelics was another thing that helped me like kind of gain more clarity in my life and uh get out of that stuck and like get into that growth mindset and being able to grow and uh almost change myself um 
you I've heard you talk about uh, growth and change in like a person's life and like uh, from doing therapy all these years do you see like similar patterns in people like when this time of growth or change comes yeah yeah and as much as you see patterns you always also see differences right and you you it's it's both so it's like there's a certain ripeness that arises in us when we're ready for change and it might not be obvious it could be kind of subconscious this subconscious desire for something to change and then eventually uh hopefully it can it can happen right and then you know i do have a video on this about how change happens where i go into detail about how it happens but also how it doesn't happen because a lot of people think that you know we're told oh you can just change like this like you could just decide to change and you can and the reality is you actually can't like change doesn't happen that way it can but when it happens it seems like it can happen really quickly but it's actually there's these undercurrents there's these things that have been happening for quite a while that then just kind of hit this breaking point it wasn't like uh you know so there's only so fast that we can really change and i think this has been proven pretty much true if you look at any anyone right it's that that of course it's going to seem like somebody changed really drastically, but you probably didn't see all the other unconscious things that were going on beforehand that really led up to that change. Because, so if, if, I'll, if I'll give, um, people uh, are stuck because there's something that on a conscious, but usually unconscious level that they don't want to feel, right? So if there's something that we don't want to feel, we're afraid of feeling, or you know, we're afraid of something, it, that's what keeps us constricted and stuck and that we have to find a way to kind of break through that and one way to do it is to feel safe to get to a place where it's invited where there's where we feel safe to be vulnerable um but another way is to kind of force your way through it right and yeah. and i think that that can happen like you said with psychedelics that they're they're this really potent thing that can just like pop you out of that way of being and, and can allow you to have like a, this totally different feeling and a viewpoint. And that is because we get so used to the way that we're feeling that we just, we take it as fate. We just don't think that there's any other way of being because we may try a few things a little bit and think like, oh, you know, I don't really feel any different, nothing really changed. And so we, we're just stuck in this way of thinking and being and feeling. And so it's like, there we're looking at like what are the catalysts right like what are the things that and sometimes it's the other thing you know i said that that can pop people through that you know could be a, like a forceful uh way of changing is like if something something of desperation right so it could be like you know like obviously you know coronavirus is a big thing that you know forced a lot of people to change right because they they didn't have an option but also if you just really desire something so badly or if there's something is so bad that you need to really escape it and these things can like build up the pressure for 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 something to happen but it's really uh it's really happens like uniquely for each person right so it's it's a it's a hard thing to talk about in general right i kind of do try my best on this uh on that youtube video but it's re it really is unique to each person as well no oh, of course uh like and like uh one thing i like uh, really do like about like how you were talking about uh change is like um you kind of said was talking about like almost as like a, when you come out of like a big change there's something different in like almost how you how you identify yourself like your own identity right or even right. like just like your own level of awareness right yeah 
So the thing is all change is a change in identity, right? It's, it's like, if you, if you're trying to change, like, you know, let's say you are somebody who, let's say you're uh, like an alcoholic, right? You, you drink all the time. You have this identity, even if you don't like the identity, it's still your identity. You, you subconsciously know you're somebody who drinks every day, right? And so if you want to change that, you have to change who you think you are on a subconscious level, which means what would it take for you to get to this point where you now see yourself as someone who's not drinking every day, you know, and, and this is the really challenging part of it, you know, and so uh, there's, and so for some things, it, it helps if you can have some other identity you're going for, right? Something to fill that void because it's so hard to be in this void of, of not, you know, knowing who we are, not having this, um, this feeling like a felt sense of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, and it's scary, especially so like most aspects of our identity, you know, maybe so in this case, like, you know, uh, alcoholism or something isn't the best example, but like, if we think we're a certain person, right, if we think like, you know, we, we grew up in school, maybe we're the smart kid, or maybe we were like the athletic kid or whatever it was, that that limits who we are. And, you know, we get that gets fixed on who we are. That's like, oh, this is why I'm important. This is why I'm special. This is why people like me. Mm -hmm. And so we think without that identity, I don't know who I am. And I don't know if people will like me anymore. I don't know if people will accept me. I don't know if people will want to hang out with me or want to date me. So it's like we cling to our identity because that's how we get all of our social needs met. Right. And that's how we get all of our validation. You know, and you see this with people you know, for example, like, you know, somebody who's like really good looking and then they get to this point where their looks start fading and then it's panic, right? They get to a point in life where they don't, their looks, and then they're trying to keep their looks because they don't know who they are if they're not like a beautiful person. And, and they don't know if people will like them if they're not a beautiful person. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it can be scary, but it's not, it, there's so many different ways. And uh, there's been a lot of, you know, research and a lot of uh, psychology around this midlife transition that, that we develop these things. It's important to have these things, these parts of our identity that are like supportive of us and make us feel better for who we are, make us feel accepted and a part of a group, a part of a social group. But then we get to this point in midlife where there's an opportunity and often a calling to find this deeper, more unique sense of self. And Carl Jung called it individuation, which is like a perfect word for it because we're individuating, we're becoming our own individual self. We're individuating from society instead of being, you know, this person in this social group, we're, we're figuring out who we are. And it's scary because uh, to make room for that, you have to let go of a certain security, of a certain level of, um, what is it like a, a, a comfort and 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 a connection to to your normal kind of social groups right and uh and and who you think you are and what you think is important or special or meaningful about you and if those things if you don't have those things it could be really you know those things falling away could be really distressing to people right and this is you know they call it an existential crisis right it's like who am i if i'm not that then who am i and but it's an opportunity for a more authentic more meaningful part to come about that if you can go with it, if you can let those parts fall away and explore like who you really are, then there's an opportunity for, to feel a lot more alive, a lot, you know, more fulfilled, uh, and to just feel better about yourself in general. And it's, it's that people, I think when they resist 
that change, they often get caught in like a depression or an anxiety or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that then it's like, you know, and, and depression and anxiety may be part of the change regardless. But if you resist the change, if you resist the old part falling away and, and you're not really kind of cultivating a, a new, more authentic self, then it's going to be really, you're just making it much harder, right? You're going to feel a lot more confused and stuck. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Uh, no, I think, uh, you've like said a lot of things that rung true to me just in my own personal, like uh, journey kind of thing. And like, and I noticed like when big times of change have come up in my life too, like, um, like I was lucky that I was cultivating like a meditative practice cause it did help me, um, right. also like feel my body that like, when I started like really looking at my body, I, I noticed there were inner conflicts in the way I thought and right. there were like stuff I needed to let go of that uh, were like present inside me like a lot. Oh. Like when I went in, like, and these were just parts of my body or parts of my mind or body, whatever it is that were just kind of telling me like, um, like, uh, yeah, kind of who I was. It was part of my identity, but it was also like a very frightened part of my identity that was like mm-hmm. kind of mostly built in fear. So it like didn't allow totally. me to really grow and I needed to let go of that shit. And uh, yeah, being aware and and just like how we've been just saying it this whole time, just being aware and being non-judgmental and just like observing it for some reason that in its own self totally. has the ability to weaken that and let those things break yeah. away. Yeah. Absolutely. It allows the process to happen organically, right? It's like, just like our, our body knows how to heal. Like, you know, if you cut your skin, your body knows how to heal. Your body wants to heal and the psyche is the same. It knows how to heal. You just have to remove the blocks. You have to like, just allow it to, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like this whole, um, the whole growth of a more authentic self is not something that you, uh, you envision and then create, it's actually something that you nurture and allow for it to grow itself. And there's this often this, uh, metaphor used of the, 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 um, acorn and the oak tree, like an acorn grows into an oak tree. But if you look at an acorn and you've never seen an oak tree before, you would have no idea that this thing is going to be an oak tree. And it's the same that there's like this acorn inside us, you know, they call it like the soul or authentic self and that you don't know what it's going to actually look like when it's fully grown and, and trying to envision and say, Oh, well, this is what I want it to be, which is what a lot of the self-help people teach. Like, Oh, you have to like visualize what you want to be and then create it. But that's probably just going to take you off track. It's probably not going to be truly authentic. What you're really trying to do is just, allow there to be the kind of uh, safe space and and um, just just that uh, self-care type vibe to allow it to grow into whatever it ends up growing into you know and so that that non-judgmental like just allowing it to flourish and and not judging right yeah and uh, i always like uh think about uh i think alan watts used to say this but he talked about how like a river is flowing but like our resistance to it is like us trying to like stop the river with like a pan or something like it just creates more interference totally. and it's like no let the river flow and like see where it takes you and like that's totally. where it's just kind of like exactly and, it's it's yeah. like surfing a wave like you can't tell the wave which direction to crash in or you know it's like you have no control but if you learn to surf it, then you're good, you know, and like, that's what it is. It's like learning to surf this energy, just allowing it to kind of carry us and not trying to direct it too forcefully. Mm, I love that. Um, all right. So we've been talking about these, like, uh, a little bit about our identity and like kind of, uh, that kind of stuff and how it involves in our growth. Um, can you like 
you want to talk a little bit about like almost how like as a society or our culture, like our values that we have as a culture, because we're extremely uh, competitive culture, very um, uh, capitalistic, materialistic, like uh, a lot of vain kind of uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, values we have, uh, unfortunately. And um, I don't know, can you like kind of... Yeah. Totally. Like you see well, like how these like values kind of like uh yeah 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 us. well i mean so you look at it all and like ultimately we're all looking for the same things we're looking for validation belonging security you know we're looking for these same things but we're um we're we're maybe uh misguided in the sense that it's like looking at uh, pleasure versus fulfillment, right? So think there's some things that feel good, right? They give us this little dopamine hit, whatever it is. And, you know, like uh, basically making money feels good, you know, like uh, getting t t people telling you that you're wearing a great outfit and look good feels good. Like these things feel really good, but they're not fulfilling, right? They don't lead to fulfillment. And like, no, and, but you get a little bit of good feeling and you think, well, I don't feel good now. And so, but I know it does make me feel good. I feel good when I look good or I feel good when I make money or I feel good when, you know, somebody of the opposite sex or somebody I'm attracted to uh, um, shows some interest in me or I feel good, you know, or I feel good when somebody, you know, that I respect validates me. Mm -hmm. And you think in your book and then we just start thinking that, oh, if I just get more of this, I'll be fulfilled. Like that's how our unconscious mind thinks. Yeah. And but it doesn't realize that these things are like drugs that you you get one hit and then it's gone and then you get a hit and then it's gone and it's just like you feel good when you buy something like a like some clothes that you like but if you look in your closet um it's like you don't feel this amazing like if you could if it was cumulative then you'd look in your closet and you'd feel all this joy every time you open your closet because you're like oh all these things that i loved buying so much and now i have them all but it's not like that right and it's the same thing with validation that we we're all striving for this like validation and we're shown these like heroes or these like idols of like you know people like mark zuckerberg or justin bieber or beyonce thinking like oh that's what success looks like that's what it means to like be and like that's what i need right because that's what we're shown that's what everybody kind of looks up to is like these you know celebrities it's celebrity culture and so we're all measuring ourselves against that and we all think oh for me to be successful and get the validation and feel good that's what i need but when you talk to those people who are very successful you'll find that they're no for the most part, they're no happier than the average person who of like mediocre success, right? Mm -hmm. That that the uber successful people are not uber more fulfilled, right? It's like, and so what you find is that the most fulfilled people are the people that you know feel have meaningful relationships, have meaningful work, and it doesn't mean that they have this huge validation. It doesn't mean that um, that they're more successful or anything like that, but it's like, it's these other things. It's, it's the people who are most themselves who have found how to be themselves in the world and how to relate to people as themselves and how to share things that are important to them with other people that feel those things are important as well. And those are the things that really lead to fulfillment. And, uh, and we're not taught that. And so we're not looking for it. We're not, and there's no support, right? Like in old cultures, there would be support they'd be like well what what is your role in society how can you contribute in a meaningful way uh, not in just a way of like you know 
owning a nice car and house one day, but like, how can you actually contribute to society? Uh, what can you do to make the world better for everyone? And like, that was the way that it was kind of, uh, you know, looked at and, and that's almost completely gone. Like you still see that a little bit here and there. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's like, even the people who are like the good people are mostly also have this like celebrity quality to them, right? There's always this like fame and social validation. It's not so much celebrated to the people who are like low key, just living meaningful lives, right? Oh, 100%, so, yeah. So yeah, so we just have a distorted view of what will make us happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, yeah, and like, uh, I think with our culture and everything, like it always gives us like this feeling of um, not being enough, you know, like uh, I think, uh, I felt that so much in my life, uh, just like you kind of look at all the like people who we idolize and like when you start mm -hmm. seeing like I'm not like that or something like that, all of a sudden you start feeling like I'm not good enough and that's where it can kind of spiral into like a lot of like uh, either, um, you know, either like uh, doubts or fears or shame. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. it's shame, like it's just like yeah. oh, I just don't – or sometimes you start beating yourself up. You're like, oh, maybe I didn't work hard enough and then that spirals into more right. like – you know, exactly. and like it's uh, so that's what this is ex exactly. I know you're kind of probably referencing my like self love video, right? Because it's like this is what it's about it's about what values do you really hold dear and are you prioritizing in your life? And often we have this, um, we often feel like we're not good enough because we have this really distorted these distorted values, these really unhealthy values, and we're not living up to them because one, they're not practical, and two, they're even if we did live up to them, they wouldn't probably fulfill us anyways uh so it's like really it's a, it's a call to re-examine our values and re-examine what do we really want to live up to what's really important to us and and as an individual and that that's not necessarily going to bring us validation because that's there's this it's validation is so validation is important it's good it's not bad at all but it's so unbalanced in our culture that it's all about our culture is all about validation it's not about what's doing it's not about helping people it's not about compassion it's not about authentic relating it's just about validation and so if we start looking at those other things about how can we really express something that's true to us and express something that's authentic with us and connect with people over those, these things that feels better than most validation and it's longer lasting validation's like you have it for a second and then it's gone and then you need more, and right? And you need it again. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a comedian, so trust me, I know about validation. <laughs> yeah, you need those laughs. Exactly. <laughs> uh, like, uh, yeah, honestly, that's uh, very interesting. Like how, the way you kind of say it too, like it, it's like something It's like I wish we could right. strive for. Right. right, so like, you know, you could tell some funny jokes and get laughs, but jokes that are funny but not really meaningful and it feels good for a bit. But if you share something really like real that you really care about in, in your comedy routine and not only does it get last, but you can see it really lands with the audience, that's going to be way more long lasting, that feeling, right? hundred percent. And I try to talk about that a little bit on this podcast, yeah, I like, I, I, yeah. like trying to become like, uh, that's a journey I've been on for like, now I've been doing comedy for over a decade. So it's like yeah. uh, trying to like, see, like to like say what I want. Chris Rock is like the master of this, oh. right? Where he's, you know, he's always like putting in, he, you know, he really has like, he really cares about certain things and he really expresses that in his comedy. 
you know, and then that's, and that's like, so, and you get it. Like it's, that's why it's meaningful to him. It's not just about the laughs. It's about him expressing who he is like in a really authentic way and what he cares about, what he values and sharing those values with others. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a hundred percent. That's actually funny. You mentioned Chris Rock. He's uh, my, definitely the guy who got me into comedy. So yes, that's... Yeah. I mean, he's one of the greats, of course. Right. Yeah. You know? And he's like a very, you can tell when somebody's playing to the audience to get laughs versus when they're actually being themselves and being funny. Right. And he's like, he is so authentic and it comes across. And that's why I think he's so loved and so successful other than also being extremely funny, but he's just like, he's very much expressing himself in his comedy. And like, I think that's, that's what, you know, like it, it hooks people, people see it. They see something authentic in there. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. All right, man. Uh, this is the name of the podcast. So I got to ask you the question. So Jude, God, yay or nay? <laughs> okay, so here's the. Uh, can I come back with a question? Yeah, go nuts, man. Answer the question, but I'll say how. So, okay, so part of the problem with the question is the same problem when we talk about so many issues is that we haven't defined the terms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when some when when people ask a question, they usually have a definitive idea of what they're asking in the head in their head and then the person who hears the question uh often hears something else because they have a different idea and then this is what a lot of conflicts in and happen between people between you know groups is because they're actually talking about totally different things and they they may not actually be disagreeing but they feel like they're disagreeing because they're not actually being clear with what they're trying to express 100%. and so and so, you know, you could, when some people say God, they think about, oh, the Christian God, or they think about religious gods in general. And other people think about something more like ineffable, something that like transcends religion or, or any kind of conceptual, like a uh, person uh, uh, centered thing that does, that transcends people itself and that exists kind of universally. So it's like, so first of all, do you have a, a, a defined, uh, Honestly, the whole reason I kind of started this podcast and the reason I love that question is because that question makes people define it themselves, right? And Exactly, you know? And I get that. I get that's why you're doing it because that's what makes it a fun question. And so I'll say, like, I'll say, uh, well, the short answer is yay. (laughs) Short answer, but the long answer, the long answer is I think it's more valuable to ask yourself, not do you believe in God or not, but what is God to you, right? And, or what could God be to you? Or what, what is God that this person is speaking about versus what is God that this person is speaking about? And to explore it because the God that, you know, Alan Watts speaks about is the very different God than the Pope speaks about, Mm -hmm. you know, they're talking about totally different gods. Um, And they may be pointing towards the same thing in their own being, but there, but people are going to receive it differently. And, you know, there's, there's different parts of it. And so, I'm very much, I, I personally, I, I have no problems with the word God. I'm totally all about God, but, but I, I'm careful to say that because people are going to think I'm religious then. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and cause I'm not religious, you know, I, I know in Buddhism, there is a lot of mixed, you'll find different people interpreting the old text, different ways to, to say, yes, they are talking about God, or they do say there is a God and others saying, no, they, 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 they're not saying it. And so, because we have this whole Western idea of what God is, and then when we try to in, interpret Eastern ideas 
of God, we were projecting our own idea of God onto them when they're actually talking about their own kind of thing. And in Taoism, they just call it kind of the Tao. They talk about this universal energy that's like mystical and acting through all these things. Uh, and they're not like personifying it. They're not like trying to give it a face and a figure, which I think is where a lot of people, uh, you know, get, uh, you know, where it gets weird. Right. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think, so I think, yay, let's, let's, um, let's all, explore the mystery of what God is or what God could be as opposed to, you know, um, trying to reduce it to like a simplistic idea. Because I think that anyone who, who feels the yay in the yay towards God will agree that it is beyond our own mind and comprehension, that there is a mystical mystery element to it. So I think like trying to find that awe of the mystery of existence or the mystery of God or the mystery of life trying to be in awe of that is like what's really valuable there. A hundred percent. And like, uh, yeah, my whole uh, take on it too, as, uh, as well as more being like uh, the whole idea of God is more in the experience and like to conceptualize it as just something that probably can't be done. And that's because you run into the problems you were just talking about, like con yeah. concepts are different to each exactly. of us. And and I think there's so much to be learned from different people who have had different experiences of God from different traditions or from non-traditions right that they're that they're you know they you can see these similarities in what they're talking about and they're they're trying to point towards something and they're not doing it perfectly and we're not interpreting it perfectly but there's something there there's definitely something there and there's definitely something that you know i think that uh we should be encouraged to explore 100 percent uh all right, so uh, Jude, uh, I just want everybody to know he has like such an amazing um, YouTube channel being integrated. I'll link it in the bio or in the, in the description of this podcast. So please check it out. I really uh, think it's uh, helpful for so many people. Um, and uh, just on that note, uh, do you mind doing a little uh, mindfulness practice with me let's right now and uh, hopefully in. our audience? Yeah, let's drop in. We'll do, we'll make it a short one, just like three or four minutes. That's to, so, thinking. so people, that way people uh, will actually maybe do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, like, also, a 20 minute practice. And I think a lot of people won't even bother. So let's do like a quick, like three minute check-in. All right. You ready? I love okay. it. So uh, yeah, start off whenever you're ready, man. All right. So just, you know, kind of sit up straight, taking a deep breath and feel that quality of alertness that, you know, straight spine, alert quality of awareness. And on the exhale, just really stretch up. Feel that present. You're present right now. You're here. You're in your body. And then on the out breath, let the shoulders relax and feel the quality of ease. So the quality of just letting things be as they are, just relaxing into the moment, relaxing into your body. And so meditation is always this balance, this complementary balance of alertness and ease. It's being present and being totally okay with whatever's happening. Just notice what sensations are present in your body right now. What are you feeling? Maybe there's some physical discomfort. That's okay. 
maybe there's some emotional or energetic activation. So just notice that. Where do you feel that? For me, I often feel like an activation in my face and abdomen. I think like the chest and abdomen and face area where we feel a lot of our feelings. And so just looking there, seeing what's there, and just try not to label our experience. Try not to label whatever we're feeling, but just feel the vibrational quality of it existing in our being. Just being curious about the sensations as if we're feeling them for the first time. What does it feel like? Just feel the sensations in our body. And even if you're not feeling anything, notice what, what's that like? Does it feel solid? Does it feel empty, heavy or light? And whatever we find, we're just allowing it to be totally as it is without trying to change it. Just fully accepting it, opening to the sensation, opening our heart to the sensations as if we're opening our heart to a friend that we care about. We're really welcoming all our body sensations. Just noticing if they change. I'm just remembering this place, this, what it feels like to be open to our experience. We can open our heart to our experience. If it changes our experience, just knowing we can come back here anytime, anytime that we feel any stress or discomfort, or even if we're feeling good, we can tune in, feel our feelings and open our heart to them, feel them fully without any judgment or labeling. And just slowly coming back, opening your eyes and then just noticing again if that changes how you feel now. How was it? No, it was really relaxing. <laughs> I loved it. I noticed, uh, I've been noticing this a lot in the last few weeks of my meditations. Um, like you're even saying like some facial, like, I don't know if it's pressure or tension, um, but it's coming and going kind of around the face and head area. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, really, uh, I, really I, I like, honestly, I felt that tons before in my stomach and like, uh, sometimes like my heart or chest and I've seen how that's like dissipated and changed over time and sometimes it feels like it's linked to other parts of my yeah. myself. So when you do these practices a lot of going in being with the body sensations being present with them really feeling them and opening to them 
the experience of the feeling of having a body changes, right? And it goes from really solid and then it kind of, you could feel pressures or kind of sometimes it feels like almost like a weird magnetic thing or sometimes it's like kind of bubbly or 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 it's like tingly and then but they kind of it kind of breaks up the solidness of our being and it becomes like lighter and more fluid as we go yeah, over but everyone's experience could be unique and sometimes people experience really weird or different things but in general it goes from like solid to kind of more like liquidy to kind of like gas like and and we just become more fluid you know and and like that's the long-term, you know, meditators kind of report, can report like something similar to that, but everyone again has their own unique experiences. So those things are normal and, and it's, it's good to be aware and open to all the sensations and just allowing them to be allowing them to play out. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Jude. This was amazing. Um, one more time, tell everybody about your YouTube channel and anything else you want to uh, toss in. Yeah, being integrated on YouTube, check it out. That's that's really it. It's all about just making all sorts of practices for our own growth and development more accessible. And uh, and if you have any suggestions or requests for types of content or videos, uh, definitely you know check out the channel and just like leave a comment and 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 let me know. Awesome. Thanks so much, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. All right. That was this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I appreciate it. Please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. It really does help. And also check me out on social media. On Instagram and Twitter, it's at NewerKidY. On Facebook, it's Comedian. I'm constantly putting updates about the podcast when new ones come out. I put up podcast clips. And, uh, yeah, I also put up comedy stuff, comedy dates, comedy clips and different stuff like that so uh, you can come check out have a laugh and get keep up to date on the podcast until next time this is another episode of god yay or nay